uh, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter, part of the D1 Ticker family. I am your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of said newsletter, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. And I'm joined here on a Monday evening with Brian Fisher. Uh, Brian, what's going on, man? Uh, slow news day. So, you know, uh, just, just hanging out. But uh, I think we should tell the listeners where you're at and why you're uh, might sound just a little bit differently because I, I am quite jealous. <laughs> I, I hope you've already been to, to Archibald's or Dreamland or one of the two. But I think that might give our listeners a bit of a hint in terms of where you're at and why you're sounding a little bit differently. That, that's right. I'm not recording here from our my home office in beautiful Chicago. I am coming at you here from a ho- the uh, the hotel Capstone in beautiful Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, I, I'm here for a couple of days to speak at a uh, name, image, likeness conference at the university, working with uh, some of our friends here at the school's uh, school of communications and some folks with the athletic department, and, and getting some some I think interesting research to share on extra points on this newsletter in the near future. I have not gotten a chance to. I actually went and uh, I, I got sushi this this evening and, and met with some people at the at the school. Had a lovely dinner. Talked with some with some other. We're going we're going to Dreamland tomorrow, I think. And then I come back to my hotel room and my thinking was maybe I'll do some editing. I just got Civilization Six for the Switch. It was on sale for eight bucks. You know, uh, play for a little bit. And then I, I I sit down and I see that once again all hell has broken loose. Um. This already was kind of an off-the-rails coaching search, but in the time that I got on an airplane this morning to the time that I sat down to my check Twitter this evening, it has been turned up to 13. Yeah, it's not often that we uh, we move up recording and, and do so while you're on the road just because it's it just been insane and trying to keep track of things. I mean, uh, I felt like, you know, Florida made their hire of Billy Napier, and I felt like it just got completely washed over the fact that they conducted this very nice, easy, tidy search. You know, it was it was over and done with. Everybody knew that that, that was going to be the guy They concluded it. And then it's like it's gotten blown off the front page like Florida, one of the top 10 jobs, I think, in in all of FBS. Literally, the news of that job being filled by a hot name head coaching candidate is like nowhere near the, one of the five or six top storylines. And we're, we're not even getting into Washington filling their position, but uh, it, it has been a, a wild weekend. And that's why we're kind of going emergency podcast uh, with with this uh, this craziness, because it is it is truly insane. I, I, what was your kind of initial reaction, I guess, from from all of the news? What was the one shock, I guess, you could see uh, out of these last, say, 72 hours? Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest, right? Like my my reaction, particularly to the Brian Kelly to LSU news, and then especially the salary level for Brian Kelly to LSU, has made I'm 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 on I'm hot. I, I looked at this and just like, what the shit are we doing? The the, I, the, I, the what I am seeing right now is a salary number for Kelly somewhere between ten and uh, potentially fifteen million dollars a year. The number I had I had kind of heard, uh, you know, around the campfire that LSU was 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 comfortable going to at least ten, if if not beyond, th- throughout the search. Going through some folks here, there's two things about this particular hire at that particular number that kind of set me off a little bit. One, if I was LSU, an athletic department that has come under fire from multiple angles right now for repeated Title Nine uh, or allegations of Title Nine violations, for uh, repeated. Um, allegations of failure to institutionally protect students and, and student athletes on campus. There are many different coaches that you could potentially hire. 
maybe you could have hired a big name coach that doesn't have some of the baggage in that exact department um, as Brian Kelly does. It's pretty clear that LSU is operating um, in a manner where it does not give a shit what anybody else thinks about them, which I'm sure is very gratifying if you are a fan of LSU and potentially troubling if you are a fan of um, anything else. So that is, is, is a troubling statement here. Then we have to look at the sheer absolutely bananas amount of money, whether it's 10, whether it's 12, whether it's 15. I I tweeted about this here, and I'm really not totally kidding. Between this and the Lincoln Riley number, I think these are the – and the Mel Tucker number for that matter, which is an insane amount of money for somebody whose production is not anywhere near what these other two coaches are. These are the kinds of absolutely crazy headlines that could push a member of Congress who in principle supports – college athletics reform and college athletics regulation, but doesn't have any reason to really uh, advocate for, for moving that process along where there's no sense of urgency. If this is something that, that kind of breaks college football Twitter's you know world, that might be the kind of thing that says maybe we need to give a second look at this because um, we thought that Jimbo Fisher's contract was the epitome of ridiculous, and I still think it does. And now we just, he just got lapped by like three different dudes. It, it, wild. I, I, w- I will say, though, that the some of the figures being thrown out, uh, maybe just take the, a few of them that you see on Twitter with a grain of salt. Some of the deals, I, I think just uh, talking with a few folks, uh, you know, yes, Brian Kelly's deal is I, I would imagine is a, is a nine figure deal. I think Lincoln Riley uh, as well is a, you know, over the lifetime of the contract is going on a nine figure deal. And that in it, in itself is just kind of hard to kind of fathom, you know, when, when you thought, especially when you look at some of the, the coaching salaries at the, say the NFL level, which is, which is a nice gig, but nowhere near, you're talking the, the eight, nine, $10 million range that basically is the going rate now for college coaches, which is insane. And in, in, in its fact, and the, the, I mean, just, I, I'm still trying to process that you have two of the marquee jobs, two of the winningest programs of all time, Oklahoma and Notre Dame, losing their both of their head coaches to other top five jobs in the span of what twelve hours? It, it just it, it, it kind of boggles the mind. That and, doesn't and, happen. And the fact that you know you mentioned the money uh, aspect of, of Brian Kelly's departure. To me, what is even greater, uh, an even greater surprise, is just the fact that his team is in the national title hunt. Like the, if there's one upset or two on Saturday, Notre Dame's in the college football playoff. And I, I don't think Notre Dame is, is going to allow Brian Kelly to coach that team. And so that to me, to leave a national title, not after the shit he just pulled. To, to, but to leave a college football playoff potential team and, and a national title contender, cause let's face it, that field is wide open. I, 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 everybody, I understand Georgia. Yes. Number one, easy. They're, they're the, they're the top team, but they're not invincible. And if there's anything that we have seen in college football playoff in, in the college football playoff in general and the college football race in general this year, anything can happen. And so to me, it's, if you can make the, the big dance at the end of the year, on one of those four teams, you got a shot. And the fact that Notre, Brian Kelly would give that up is number one. It says a whole lot about uh, Scott Woodward, the LSU AD's job at, at being able to convince him to come to Baton Rouge. But um, you know, I, I always thought that, frankly, Brian Kelly was destined to take an NFL gig, and and that would be kind of how he would close out his career. I know the Bears' job, uh, you know, for, for years and years and years, was kind of pointed as one of the potential ones. Especially now that uh, you know that that team had has a quarterback in, in Justin Fields, you kind of thought, well, maybe that coming open could kind of lure him from South Bend and. You thought, well, that'd be a perfect match. It's right up the road. He could get, you know, I think he would be somebody that would love to work for the McCaskies. And uh, just the the fact that 
he's at LSU now. It just it almost boggles the mind. But you know what? Kudos to the LSU administration. They they understand uh, what it what it is like to go big game hunting. And Scott Warder, he he delivered. You know, I, I think that's at, at the bottom line. He there was a lot of names floated. A lot of the fan base at LSU were uh, a little bit skeptical about some of the names that, that uh, came up. But uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, one of the true elite coaches in college football is on the move. And for regardless of the dollar figure, it's still almost mind blowing to, to see some of the names that have been traded on the on the coaching transaction wire here yeah th- this is something that really doesn't have i'd have to go back and, and kind of dig through the newspapers newspaper.com archives but i i it, it's pretty rare for a high level p5 coach to take another high level p5 job unless there's some kind of family or institutional tie um and that's not the case like it, it, it it's it's the, the running joke here on twitter right is like Brian Kelly's that looks like the kind of dude that thinks Sprite is spicy or that garlic is spicy. And you're going to South Louisiana. Lincoln Riley, I, I don't think is from Los Angeles. Like they're, 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 those kind of changes in and of themselves don't happen very often that they would happen one right after the other at two of the top 10 most top six most storied programs. Yes. Unf- unfathomable. Like I'm, the the rationale between the two and how they're and how they're both being defended, I think, is is is, is interesting and is, is just as worth worth unpacking here a little bit, right? The, the kind of scuttlebutt around Riley is this guy wasn't crazy about going to the SEC. This guy now has an opportunity to have a much easier path to the college football playoff, has a chance to be able to be a, a, a school that has substantially better talent than almost everybody else in their conference, which historically is what Oklahoma has enjoyed. This is outside of Ohio State, the most consistently winning program, I think, over the last four decades. Part of that is there really aren't very many other teams that they would sit, that they would face every year that could potentially have comparable talent. And now you're looking at with the SEC with, with, in the 16-team world where the, the joke was somebody was going to make four or five million and go five and seven. Someone's going to make nine million now and go five and seven. That's not a sustainable operation. So it's, it's weird to see. I mean, like I, I can understand the argument for I don't want that. I want to maintain what I, I had when I came in here. And then to take somebody from Notre Dame to LSU, it feels like almost the complete opposite on many different levels. I, I, I really wanted, would love to hear more about what else convinced that change besides just pure money, especially given that Brian Kelly said just like 72 hours ago, this is where I want to stay. I'm not leaving unless the fairy godmother comes with like, what, it was a $250 million check or something. Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's definitely a decision you could make to say that kind of thing <laughs> when you know what those, those sort of conversations are potentially happening. Well, it's not. And it's it's not. Maybe we're missing something. But it's not just ten million dollars a year. It's not just nine million dollars. You're talking about staff salaries now. That you're going to have to pay coordinators a million and a half, two million on both sides of the ball. You're talking about, you know, strength coaches are are making eight hundred k. I mean, the the staff staff salary pool, it, which is the one thing that a lot of coaches will talk to you talk to you about being very important when they enter these job discussions is how much are you going to be able to allow me to pay my staff to hire who I really want. Uh, that that more than anything ha- has increased the balloon even more. And with LSU in particular, I mean, look, this is the, the school back when Mark Emmert was president was the first school to hand out a million dollar check to a coach. First school to hand out a two million dollar check. They bought out less miles for uh, originally twelve million dollars. I think that ended up 
end up cashing at under 10. Uh, you, you have yep. a coach that won him a national title uh, two years ago, and they're paying him $19 million to go away. And, and now you're ponying up over $100 million to lure Brian Kelly. And I think it does speak to, obviously, taking football very seriously and, and doing what it takes to win. But uh, these schools in particular, the ones that want to compete at the highest level, look, they have made that a priority between their boosters, between the administrations. They've said, look, we, we're, in, we're, in the, we're in the game, and, and this is how much skin we got, and this is, we are going all in to win. And I, it's as one administrator from the group of five put it to me, we are now playing a different ballgame because, uh, you know what? I also saw, you know, today Akron and, and trying to make their hire. And you, you saw uh, Washington uh, open up Fresno State. So the, the, those schools, the group of five schools, man, it, it's just a completely different ball game that they are playing compared to the LSUs and USC's of the world. And I think that has been reinforced this cycle. There was already a huge gap between the power five and especially the elite of the power five and the rest of the sport. That this just kind of confirms that that gap is not only not only there, but it's, it, it's a Grand Canyon sized gap. Right. And, and this is all happening juxtaposed at a time when so many other stakeholders are looking at this system and saying, this doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Um, people I, I know criticized LSU when they handed out that first million dollar check. Well, now you're handing out an 11, 10, whatever million dollar check right after we just had like five congressional subcommittees on college athletics reform, where we already have essentially a majority of both the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans saying, I'm ready to do something. They don't all agree on what that something is, but the world has changed. We just got finished talking about a constitutional convention about trying to address some of these gaps. And then what the people at Akron and at Fresno State, and quite frankly, at Oregon State and Pitt and some of these other places will tell you is they say, we recognize we're not playing the same game as Ohio State, Notre Dame, USC, or LSU, but we are still going to be can, compelled to participate in this rising cost curve because of what those other people are doing, even if we don't want to do it. Um, and and that has negative policy implications for, 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 some, for some of these things, right? I mean, the, what Washington did here with, with, um, with their hire, I think is, is, inter- is particularly interesting because I, I kind of have to wonder if they had to have another meeting after Lincoln Rather was brought in saying like, are we sure this is our guy? Because this is this is probably what a top fifteen, maybe better gig in college athletics. But when you see what the big name school really push all their chips in the center with somebody who's going to be very aggressive about talent acquisition, it reminded me a little bit of when Urban Meyer went to the Big Ten, where the, a lot of other schools in the Big Ten were not taking recruiting and their athletic department infrastructure nearly as seriously as Ohio State was willing to do at that point. And that forced some schools to make some changes. Maybe DeBoer, maybe maybe Washington got their guy after all, but if like, you want to be the second or third best team in the league, you have to at least be prepared to kind of do what USC is doing, right? Well, I think, uh, you know, speaking to some folks around the Washington search, uh, you mentioned that, that that deal was done earlier today. And I think they yeah. had gone down this road to ultimately land the Kalen DeBoer, who I think is going to be a good fit for Washington. I think he, he brings an, an offensive style. He's been a head coach before, a very successful head coach before, uh, done a really good job in terms of turning Fresno around very quickly uh, the, these last couple months. Did terrific work at, at Indiana before that. I think it's a good fit for them. I, I know Jeff Tedford has, has advised behind the scenes uh, another Fresno State guy who, who was at Washington uh, briefly as, as an off-the-field person. And uh, he, he's been, been part of the search and, and given his thoughts. And I think uh, that 
certainly helped the candidacy in, in this case. I think they kind of locked in and certainly they did explore, I think, uh, talking with the people like Matt Campbell and all that at higher salary points. And I think even would have surprised a lot of folks out there. But um, I, I get what you're saying in terms of do we do we got to up our game and, 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 and respond to Lincoln Riley? I, I, I don't get that Washington was ever kind of caught up in that. Uh, with this this entire coaching search, which might speak to a little bit to the market that they were in and, and how things have changed for that school. I think it, we, we've talked about it on this podcast. That's a very good job. I, I think it's one of the better yeah. jobs on the West Coast. You, you certainly have a, a national title pedigree. I think you can win there and win big uh, in, in that division and uh, have a lot of success. But uh, ultimately, I think between that hire and, and ultimately Lincoln Riley's, this is a resetting really for the Pac-12. I think that was uh, I wrote about this on, on Monday is just this is a, a, a big resetting of, of the Pac-12. It was maybe the most important coaching carousel in Pac-12 history, given what's coming up for that conference in terms of the college football playoff expansion, in terms of the fact that, uh, let's face it, we're, we're, we're probably going to get new media rights deals uh, right around the corner and those negotiations are going to start. So uh, you, the Pac-12, they have to be winning and they have to be nationally relevant. And I think a lot of these hires, especially with Lincoln Riley's at USC, just, just the impact it com- that comes from luring a guy like that to Los Angeles um, is it, huge for the conference. And that truly can lift all the tides in that in that boat out west. I mean, George Klyovkov, uh, you know, for, forget what you might think about the, the Washington Washington State hires. He is over the moon uh, over the fact that Lincoln Riley was, was just introduced uh, today at, in Los Angeles and the fact that not only did, did he get lured to USC, but USC, from a administration standpoint, from the president on down, from the board of trustees on down, from the AD on down, has committed to fully you know, funding and, and fully operating this at a high level to where they are competing with Ohio States again, comp- to where they are competing with Alabama's of the world again. And I think that, to me, um, you know, speaks volume about USC kind of taking things seriously. And uh, again, for the Pac-12, it is huge to have USC getting back to being USC. And I think that, more than anything, is one of the big storylines coming out of this coaching carousel. Yeah, the uh, from a, a media rights perspective and for the financial stability long term for that league um i i normally am not somebody that's like college football needs team x to be good college football doesn't necessarily need usc to be good but that league sure as hell does and and if if not good they need them signing top six classes and not top six classes with air quotes where uh recruiting services are bumping somebody up as a favor to an assistant coach or something but like actual top six classes that are producing you know six seven eight ten nfl draftees um a cycle and, and USC's proven it can do that before. Um, a couple other schools in that conference need to also pick up the slack, but that, that's you're right, it's, it's a huge deal. I, I have I've written about this a couple of times before. I don't think I'm ever going to write about who nailed a hire or who didn't nail a hire because I think, in, in many respects, who's actually going to be as successful at a job. Uh, is impossible to predict at least at least for us we we can we can we can look at somebody's resume and make uh, some very baseline you know inferences here but whether they're successful depends on culture it depends on the relationship with their ad it depends on a lot of luck it depends on who has been cheating effectively and, and so many other things so maybe lincoln rally comes in and wins three national championships maybe lincoln rally comes in and goes eight and four two years in a row and takes the arizona cardinals job next i have i have no idea but I can, I, can, I can look at that and say this is a signaling device that says, hey, everyone else, we need to get serious about our recruiting graphics department or about how we handle player personnel or ab- about what our structural plan is because now things are going to be harder. Um, the, uh, the, the two programs I think need to ask themselves some pretty difficult questions would be UCLA 
um, now that you, uh, you know, you're in what year three or year four of the Chip Kelly experiment. And this year, the, the year you're supposed to take a step forward, didn't beat a single team with a winning record. Um, and is, is not exactly the guy that you bring around to, 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 to pump up media in the, in the region. And then Utah, where the, there's, there's been some kind of whispers, I think, around the market that, hey, if they make the Rose Bowl, maybe Whittingham retires. And this is a program that's been very consistent and has an identity and does a bunch of things really, really well, but has a, has a defined ceiling of what the kind of talent that you're going to be able to recruit. And they haven't really had to, to beat these Los Angeles teams when they were actually functioning at the level that they were supposed to be. Do you try to re, you know, if you have to bring in a new coach, do you try to just keep doing what you were doing before? Do you now change what you were doing before? Now that the marketplace has changed. Like I think those are, those would be some difficult questions in Salt Lake. I, I agree completely, and, and we'll see ultimately what uh, what does end up happening. I think you're you're right. Those rumors have uh, been out there, and they've picked up steam. And as we usually uh, hear this time of year, that that is something that happens with with a coach of of Kyle Whittingham's age. But let's face it, you know, he he's in that kind of Pete Carroll bracket of of uh, coaches that uh, that number is just a number next to their name uh, because he he's one of the fittest head coaches I think in in all of college football. That's for sure. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he he lasted another ten years or retired tomorrow uh, after winning the Rose Bowl and just. just going out on top and retiring to that athletic department and and kind of serving as an advisor. I could totally see that. I could totally see him even jump into like the NFL or or taking another shot and doing something different. But, uh, you know, to me, he he can do whatever we want. If he, if he decided to retire, it isn't because of health because he could leg press us both to the moon. Um, if, if he decided all he wants to do is just go climb mountains for the next decade. Great. Yeah, and, and, I mean, you but you're too. right about UCLA. I think that's that's an interesting test case. Look, the results have not been that great uh, so far under Chip Kelly's. I mean, look, they, they've won eight eight games for the first time since 2015. They beat all the California schools for the first time since 1998. Um, you know, there has been progress this year, no doubt about it. But as a program, especially when you look at uh, who might end up departing in terms of, uh, you know, the, the personnel, how recruiting has gone. Uh, yeah, you, you could think they're they're in line for an upgrade. I, I don't think that's ultimately going to end up happening. I think Chip has won enough this year. Um, he, he is going to end up getting an extension. It might be a little bit more team friendly in terms of the, the buyout and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what, what ends up happening in West. But I, I don't think that's a school that's going to react necessarily to all these coaching moves elsewhere. You know, I think maybe maybe in yeah. basketball that would have been the case. But uh, I, I don't see it happening right now in, in football. It's just not uh, not what the, the school is, is going to invest their resources. I mean, I think I think Jim Mora is still owed like one or two more payments of, of his buyout. So uh, that, that kind of puts it puts it in perspective a little bit with Westwood. Arizona State, a little bit more of a, an issue, I think, in, in my mind as to what that school is going to do. Um, and it does appear that Ray Anderson is going to be back for the, at least the near term as AD. Uh, Herm Edwards is, is going to return, I guess, in the near term until something, I guess, decides what it gets decided with the NCA. So uh, that that is going to hang over that program for a while. I think Michael Crow would obviously like to have won a lot more these last couple of years. And uh, he's facing a big, a couple of big decisions from a university standpoint in terms of what that athletic department does. Um, but that's one of those kind of sleeping giants that you wonder, can the right coach come in there and, and kind of awaken it? And uh, especially in this new era of, of the Pac-12 with Lincoln Riley making those investments with Oregon recruiting at the level they are. I mean, even even the Ducks, you know, look, they, they face an interesting next few weeks right now. They're, they're going to play in the, in the Pac-12 title game in Vegas on Friday. And uh, let's face it, the, the, the 
the talk around town obviously is um, you know if Miami does end up coming open I think that is a job that Mario Cristobal is going to give serious consideration I, I understand the the talk about the resources of Red at Oregon he's got a great team coming back but um, there, there's just been as it's been conveyed to me there's just been a different pool to returning to Miami returning home and returning to that program sure. and restoring that program to its, its national relevance um, that is is an, an, an appealing factor that's far beyond money and um, you know look that's that, that's up to, to Mario Cristobal if it ultimately ends up happening what we'll see in the AD search that comes first down there in Coral Gables but uh, just a, another fascinating coaching carousel that frankly has never stopped we're, we're over 20 jobs right now and and it's still going to keep going yeah in case you've forgotten like Cristobal is born in Miami played at Miami coached at Miami and then also coached at FIU and is like the dean of the Latino college football coaching community and to go to where the epicenter of where the college the Latino college football community is both at like the high school and and grassroots level that's not that's not nothing um Arizona State also just just looked this up here um currently last place in the Pac-12 in in, uh, recruiting right now they have five commits, probably because everybody and their brother has been saying, hey, the NCAA is about to nuke you for um, flagrantly disregarding COVID protocol. And your school decided to mortgage its long term future on potentially making the Rose Bowl this year and what was thought to be a winnable division. And then you didn't. And now you have mysterious you've decided to just kind of roll things going, uh, roll, roll things forward, even though you had to suspend, what, a third of your coaching staff for, for part of the season. And uh the, some of those those Ballyhood the Ballyhood recruiting class when you came in and you dunked all over USC and Southern California for a cycle, it hasn't really done anything. So those are all decisions you could make um, if you're Arizona State. We'll see what the, that that's apparently what they're deciding to do. That's that is certainly a decision you can make. Well, I'm I'm curious. I I want to go to the opposite coast and and get your thoughts because this is a a, a bit of a sitcoms podcast a little bit. And you went to U, UConn UMass uh, earlier this year. Yeah. UConn hires Jim Mora kind of out of the blue. He, he he's already recruiting uh, apparently, and uh, he, he's already on the coaching literally on the coaching staff as the next head coach. Even though he's he's uh, he was the past couple of weeks he was just kind of serving as quote unquote an assistant uh, just for, to get around the recruiting rules and, and evaluate the staff. But they they hired Jim Mora. Uh, Don Brown goes back to UMass, which I thought was a bit of an eye opener given his age and, and given his profile uh, for UMass. I'm curious to get your take on what, what, what's happening on the lower end of coaching staffs, because it feels like that there's a few reaches, a few retreads and, and a few of some interesting ideas. Uh, we, we see this at Texas Tech a little bit, um, you know, going with Joey McGuire, somebody who uh, probably not the, the first name on, on a lot of people's minds that uh, are outside of the state of Texas, but uh, it, it's a hire that could very well work. We, we've seen Sunny Dyke go across town if you know that rivalry between smu and and yep. uh, tcu you know that's uh, not an easy travel uh, from from i-30 uh from from dallas to fort worth but uh an interesting move by him rhett lashley coming in at smu what is your kind of i, I guess overall takeaway from the, the kind of lower levels in, in the group of five because i almost think it's it's almost been as fascinating at that level as it has been in the top end yeah i i, I mean it certainly doesn't make me as angry like it, i i i uh, I, you know, I'm not a member of the Drake group. I'm, I'm not, I don't really consider myself necessarily somebody who, who wants to tear down everything here in college athletics. But when I see people making $15 million, $14 million a year as coaching, and then, you know, like, what's the free market? Like, n- no, that's, I, I, I think that's patently ridiculous then when the only way that labor is able to be compensated is via Applebee's. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's just, that's not what we see here at the G5 level. You know, I can tell you when, when I went to that UConn UMass game, 
I know multiple people, both in the parking lot and kind of on the press box said, hey, you know, watch for Don Brown uh, to, to, to get this gig again. And the idea, as it was explained to me by, by multiple people, was it would be a temporary thing. You come in, you coach one, two, three years, you, you, you bring in a, a younger coordinator to, be a, to become your heir apparent, and then you move into administration job so you can, you can get that Massachusetts state pension, which you know, he's, he's already you know, worked in that system there for a little while. And will it work? I mean, it might. It, may, it won't. Again, like I can't, I can't say one way or another. The thing about the UMass hire is that I can at least understand what they're trying to do. What you can say is, are we going to be good if Don Brown is our head coach? No idea. Probably not because you're UMass. But you know what they're going to be? They're going to be a team that tries to solve its problems through aggression. You can get an idea for what that identity is going to look like. And honestly, I, I think that makes more sense than trying to get a recruiter. Because even if you get some ace recruiter, you're still going to have worse talent than almost everybody you play against. Um, it's better to have somebody who knows how to build a cohesive unit out of spare parts than somebody who might be able to get you a few more mid three-star guys than you would have gotten before. And then you line up and you still have worse players than Middle Tennessee State. So I get it. The UConn thing surprised me completely. That was, you know, if, if you had asked me to list 10 names potentially on that board, I don't think Jim Moore would have come up. Could it work? I mean, if you want to demonstrate to the world that you really are financially committed and structurally committed to UConn football, I think that's certainly a thing you can do. He's, the guy's won a lot of games. He also hasn't coached in a while and hasn't needed to. He's lived that buyout life and just kind of hung out in Idaho and did radio and everything, and and that's fine too. Um, I it's it's a hard it's a hard gig, and, and uh, you know it, it, bringing in somebody who, who who knows how to win football games is something, but I don't know if he's been anywhere that's going to be anywhere similar to what UConn is like. I I, I think grabbing assistants who have both experience on the East Coast. And also experience making chicken salad out of chicken excrement or at places where you don't have a lot of money for both of those programs, I think makes a lot of sense. Going in there and grabbing a coach at Maine makes sense. Going and grabbing some some uh, coordinators or coaches from New Hampshire or from Stony Brook or something. I think I think that makes sense. The one other kind of sickos place that I've, I've been I've been monitoring has been Akron. Because, you know, for my money, I think that is just as difficult of a job as UMass or uh, or or UConn, if, if anything, in some levels, maybe more so, even though you have conference affiliation and a really pretty nice stadium. The money, the history, the the institutional support, historically, it's all been terrible. Um, and, you know, my understanding was, hey, we want to go bring in somebody who has some head coaching experience. If you can get Joe Warhead, a guy that I thought was credibly tied to power five jobs and put Ohio State in a pine box earlier this season, that sounds like an amazing hire. Will it work? I have no idea. It's Akron. But like when you saw, I saw that name compared to some of the other names that were, would I, would I rather have Joe Moorhead or would I rather have Kevin Wilson? I'd rather have Joe Moorhead. Like I, I it, w- it would be wild. I think if all of this dust settles and Akron is able to go get a guy that uh, most, many P5 fan bases would have happily accepted for, I assume not $4 million. <laughs> That might be the most surprising movement of this entire search. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Joe Joe wants to become a head coach again. I think that, that's been very clear. His name has been linked to a lot of jobs. Shocked that it, Akron was one of the ones that uh, he was connected to so strongly. You know, I mean, that that 
it's understandable that you want to kind of go back into the group of five, you know, kind of prove yourself, uh, certainly get back more towards the East Coast, which is uh, kind of more of his comfort zone, especially given the, the health scares uh, that, that he's had recently that you want to kind of get a little bit closer to family. But um, you're right, Akron, that, that I mean, that is one of the toughest jobs really in, in FBS. And one, we, I mean, we don't even know in what the future of that program holds. Uh, and, you know, what the future of that school yeah. holds, not 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 just the program that is probably the FBS institution that I think is facing the most significant existential issues. Like that might be Ohio tech in a decade, which, which, and, and to land possibly, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can ultimately get this, this, uh, this over the line, but to, to land a guy yeah. like Joe Moorhead is, is a terrific coup. I mean, they, they do have a new AD there. Uh, I believe they have a new school president. So, uh, this is a, a bit of a revamp for, for Akron, but uh, I mean, this is really against what they've been doing the last couple of years, last couple of hires. I mean, they reached down into, into the division three ranks, I guess it was for, for Tom Arth. Uh, you know, obviously you go with, uh, Terry Bowden before that, who, who did some pretty decent work with the zips you know it that that worked that man won a bowl game at akron and, and then look and then he, i think he won eight games yeah and then he goes to monroe and i kind of laughed about it and not only does he make them very competitive he gets rich rodriguez another head another fps head coaching job like we should we should talk more about what a great we're gonna great job he should just rotate for all of the dregs UMass should have broken the bank to go get him. You know what? That's not an awful idea. Uh, you know, I think uh, given his, his age welcome. profile, it would have fit a lot uh, just as easily with with Don Brown. You can kind of bring a, the hot up and comer offensive coordinator. I think Terry almost, uh, get, you know, knowing him, he almost would like kind of that mentorship that that would come with maybe shepherding uh, a new guy kind of into the the, the role. But uh, honestly, I mean, this is just a, a an interesting cycle because of openings like Akron, Louisiana Tech. I I, I know that I think the Skip Holtz era was was kind of wearing itself out and, and i kind of understand why they were making the change but that that is also a tremendously tough gig and even more so after conference realignment it's just, it just got so much worse and 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 like i i also understand why maybe both sides wanted a divorce i can't think of worse timing i mean yes you could theoretically come in and potentially have an easier path to more wins because you're playing in what's kind of an fcs league with special musical guest liberty but uh, in terms of your finances and now like what you're trying to build towards, that's a tough sell. So you, you better feel really good about who you got. I mean, honestly, the same thing with Temple there, too, which, which I believe just opened up today. That job just got a hell of a lot worse than it was a couple of years ago, too, because you have like I can tell you this. There are people who work at Temple who would prefer them that school to take the UConn approach. There are certainly local media members, or I think two of who have already written columns saying Go join the A-10 and go independent. The A-10 would like to have Temple. So whether you actually decide to do that or not, um, you're going to that's, – that's going to be something that's going to come up in every media day. It's going to come up multiple times, and that's going to hurt you on the recruiting trail. Well, I mean, with Temple, I mean, the, the whole reason why Rod Carey was on the hot seat and, and why there was some questions whether he would return or not was was ultimately, could the school come up with the buyout money? I mean, that was like the, the entire gist. There was no question that the school wanted to make a change. They had a new AD that they just hired after one of the longest AD searches I, I can remember. And and it, it's understandable. They wanted a new guy. that They have not been trending in the right direction. 
and they they end up uh, coming up with the money. And you're right, it, tremendously difficult job. I think there there is a little bit more attraction, um, you know, given the location, given the league it's in, that there there would at least be um, some more interest in that gig versus the others like UMass and and, and whatnot. I think that yeah. you know the, 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 people, people have won at Temple before. Exactly. Like it, 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 if the stars align, you can win eight games. I mean, I, I've I've heard Al Golden get into the mix for a few other gigs uh, out there in college. Maybe maybe a return in, yep. is in the cards uh, at Temple. That that could be a name that. Uh, ultimately makes sense but um you know i, I think it, it's fascinating to see you know going back to the state of louisiana right you have lafayette you have la tech and kind of just the way the directions of those two programs have gone over the last 10 15 years i mean i mean it's been remarkable you look at the facilities that ul has invested in i mean they they have poured a lot of resources into that program obviously billy napier was was a big credit behind not only getting the things done off the field but but on the field uh and, and that's the reason why he's at florida right now but that gig itself has been set up for success for this constant uh, building uh t- towards something and and they've taken advantage they're hosting the sunbelt title game this week and uh that, that's a huge marquee for that program and you, you think back a couple of years ago that was the position that law tech was in i mean i, I remember going to ruston uh, years ago, year, years and years ago, uh, to see Texas A&M in Ruston with, with Johnny Manziel going crazy. Um, and uh, to think about... I remember that game. They almost won. Yeah, and, to, and to think about, with, with Sonny Dykes, no less, uh, who is at uh, now via SMU and Cal and, and now at TCU. I mean, to think about uh, you know where that program has gone from, from there. Um, you know, it's, a, it, it's been a steep fall and, and can, you know, really does underscore that uh, for a lot of the group of five programs, you're just kind of one bad hire away from, from being pushed back to the back. And I think uh, we're, we're starting to see this a little bit, but you're also one hire away from turning things around. The Akron hire a great example. If they ultimately get Joe Moorhead, I'm just kind of thinking in my mind how he can like run circles around a lot of these new up and coming young head coaches that are trying to make their name in the MAC and you know trying to do a lot with you know pretty similar resources. Let's face it, as bad a job as Akron is, you know the, the gap between them and say the top of the MAC not as great compared to say the even the SEC East or the SEC West or the Pac-12. Oh no, no, no. That, that's that's one of the weird things about the MAC is that the resource disparity between the richest schools and the poorest schools and the recruiting pools is pretty close. And at most college football programs, maybe not at UMass yet, and maybe not at New Mexico State yet, but at most programs, everyone's one good coaching hire from going seven and five. Um, The question is, how sustainable is that? Uh, Can you go seven and five, three out of five years? Well, with the right hire at some of these places, you kind of have to go for broke and then kind of, you know, go have one good year and rebuild for three. And then at, at what cost? And not just at what cost financially to that institution, but at what cost to this entire enterprise? Uh, there's no, I don't know if there's a good way to change jobs, but it is, I think, important to remember through all of this. Like, yes, this is fun fodder us to talk about who's going to go where and who's going to be successful and what this means for the the great the, the grand ecosystem here right every one of these changes uproots a lot of lives and a lot of lives for people that aren't making seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year particularly at that g5 level if you're a running backs coach at a max school there are high school principals making more money than you there are a lot of high school football coaches in georgia make it in texas making a lot more money than you and then you have to be uprooted a lot and then there are recruiting staffers and dobos and and and, uh, and media personnel that are caught up in all of these shifts. And then there are the players. Imagine being a Notre Dame football player right now and getting that text after you saw everything on Twitter, or for that matter, an assistant coach 
some of these guys found out about this on Twitter too. And getting some some sanctimonious tweet, men, you know, I'm sorry you heard about this from me. I'm coming back at seven in the morning, seven a.m. team meeting to for what kind of what listen to me break up with you. If 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 our boss did that, I don't know, you know, if uh, if, if, if Matt sent me that text, hey, staff meeting to tell you I'm, you're fired at seven a.m. I'm not going to that staff meeting. Like there's there's it, there's so much I mean so much hurt feelings and disrupted lives and and change coming to people that do not have limitless power um, that that a head coach does. And I I think I think it sucks that a lot of them get they get caught up in this, especially the players who even with transferring flexibility here really are face much more disruption than uh, I, I think maybe we give credit for. I completely agree. And it's, it's going to, that's the other added element that really has accelerated the cycle. I mean, we, how many times have we talked about the last, what, three weeks we've said, you know, it used to be, you have most of your coaching stuff happen within two weeks and it was designed where you get them in in December, they can go out and make visits and, and it, it's fine because there's time before February. But now because of that early signing day, it's almost like ADs have said, you know, I, I got to get my coach in by the last week of November, like like conference title game. If you're in the conference title game, it's almost like you're not in the running for some of these gigs because we, we need somebody in there that can go out and recruit right now. And, and that ultimately is going to be an interesting thing to look at in the next couple of years. Will coaches revisit and will ADs more than anything revisit that early signing period? Because I, I think, you know, I, I know David Shaw ha, has been very much against it. He, he thinks we should get the kids more time. And I understand that kids might want to, you know, get the recruiting process done early and, and they, they can still do that. But if, if you want to kind of take the pressure off of the coaches, of the administration, of really the entire system and, and that race to get a coach, fire a coach and, and get this whole process wrapped up quickly. Uh, you know, I think maybe moving back the signing period is, is something to think about, especially in the day and age of the transfers to where you can kind of know your numbers a little bit better. I mean, that you know, hearing Lincoln Riley uh, talk about it today and, and the fact that, you know, expectations are as high as ever. And the fact is you can flip your roster quicker than ever. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have uh, seven replacements in terms of your, your signing period uh, class if, if uh, guys hit the portal. So this is going to be another added element. You still got guys who have extra years uh, because of COVID. So roster management is going to be as difficult as ever these next like year year and a half and uh you know you throw a coaching cycle that has been just bonkers on top of that uh a lot of kids are, are looking for new places right now and that more than anything is, is going to be something to keep an eye out uh not just the, the recruiting of the high school guys but uh, the recruiting of the college guys because uh the the entire system is changing and, and they understand that uh look those those coaches they're, they're a little bit of, of some mercenaries and they will go to the best spot that suits them and i think the players are, are quickly understanding that they can do the exact same thing right now yeah and uh, i mean even although that market isn't entirely free uh, or at least as as free to the extent that that it is for coaches given that the information disparity but i yeah i would i would imagine changing the recruiting calendar is something that that is going to need to be revisited and i don't think off the top of my head i know the, the exact best tweak or, or answer for this i understand the administrator impulse to like we got to get this done immediately but I kind of think that your recruiting class, that first cycle, whether you bring in that coach October 15th or December 2nd, it's going to suck no matter what. Um, You don't have time to build those relationships. Even if you're trying to turn over your entire roster in the portal, a lot of those kids are going to end up transferring again anyway, especially the high school ones. I get what you have to do it, but you really, I mean, I think for anybody making a recruiting uh, hire right now, this first class is is class zero. Did you get, if you get a couple of of multi-year contributors 
wonderful. But I think your expectations should be pretty modest. Well, I mean, I will say that, uh, you know, the NCAA has been kind of looking at this issue about football recruiting. They have been studying it and, and, and looking at how they can possibly change the process. We've already seen it in women's basketball. There's a, a big a lot of big changes that are going to be voted on in January on women's basketball. They're basically doing away with in-person recruiting uh, for the most part on women's basketball. Some of those aspects are coming to the men's side and going from five official visits to three few other restrictions going like going down to 100 days uh, on, on the road. So a lot of changes in that sport. It's coming in football as well, on top of everything that we're seeing with the Constitutional Convention, everything that's going on in January in terms of a rules perspective from the NCAA. Uh, we, we got the college football playoff throwing some changes in there as well. Division one is changing. So it's just uh, a time of massive change. And uh, on, sitting on top of that is just the, the craziest coaching carousel I, I, I can ever remember. And it, it's not done. We, we still got a lot of open gigs and a lot more that are going to end up coming open because the, those coaches are going to get poached. We're going to have some more information on that on uh, across the D1 ticker family of uh, content channels o- over the coming days. I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I'm sitting down here on, on uh, this evening. I was going to I was going to publish a story about the America East. I'm like, maybe that's your way to there too. Given 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 that we're doing this here, I, I will be back um, on Thursday. We have a couple other I think interesting non coaching search related stories. We just had a story on Chicago State. And they're potentially starting a football program and why I actually don't think that's a crazy question to ask. That's also on extra points. So if you're interested in the cycle and why things are happening the way that they're happening and, and, and how this all fits together, check out extra points, check out D1 ticker, check out athletic director, you check out the whole family. We're going to have some more information uh, coming very soon. Brian, where else can we find you? Uh, on Twitter at Brian D Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-I-S-C-H-E-R. And I am at, at Matt Brown EP at extrapointsmb.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you again next week.